0: Welcome to Hit for Six. We're back for Series 2. Continue to speak about cricket all through the winter. Michael, how have you been? It's been a couple of months.
1: Yeah, I'm doing all right, Rob, thanks. I'm very excited for Season 2. I'm very excited that we've managed to so far get this take right, seeing it's our third take of getting an
0: intro. So well done, us. I felt a little bit out of practice, maybe. It just wasn't flowing in its, in its usual way. But, um, well, first time particularly not. Then the second time I stumbled a little bit. You were supposed to come in and save the day, but you're on mute. Uh, but this time, I think we've got it right. So, right,
1: we're back, we're back. There's obviously a little bit of cricket. I mean, before we came on, you were speaking slightly meanly about his upcoming winter tour um, away in South Africa, free T20s and free ODIs, but I'm still excited to watch them. And, yeah. Buzzing to be back for season two. And we've got some exciting guests,
0: don't we, Rob? We we do. Quickly on the England South Africa games, there's nothing worse than a a bilateral limited overs tour. No test matches, just 2020s and one-day internationals. Um, I find them slightly dull and repetitive. Having said that, our last 2020 series against South Africa, which was last winter, was very exciting. So I'm sure there will be great games and we will be looking at them um, over the next couple of weeks, probably reviewing the 2020s and looking ahead to the ODIs um, in between the middle of those, those two series. But yeah, uh, exciting guests for our first couple of episodes. Who have we got today?
1: Well, our next guest has got almost 15,000 first-class runs, um, thousands of list A runs, played for England, very popular wicketkeeper, known for his chat, and uh, if anyone's not guessed it, Rob, do you want to uh, reveal reveal the character?
0: Paul Nixon, who you, of course, uh, like to call Nico rather than Nico, something we discuss. Uh, with I think him.
1: I did this twice and I've been pointing out it was wrong. And so I'm not going to do it anymore. It's Nico.
0: Yeah, uh, it's very kind of him to, to come on the podcast. Uh, we briefly met him before when he came to speak at our university sort of crickets do um, with who he, he was. Um, good fun at uh, and so you yeah you reached out to him on Twitter and he said yeah lads would love to come on the pod.
1: Yeah and um, well I think everyone will agree he, he's absolutely lovely and he's really good value so I, I think
0: everyone's going to really enjoy this one. Well let's get stuck in then and let's listen to when we caught up with him last week. Good afternoon Paul uh, great to see you how are you?
2: I'm very well thanks um, slightly strange times obviously but um, yeah we're all safe and well the foxes are. Uh, flexi furloughed at the moment so guys are doing bits and pieces Uh, the coaches the lads are uh, doing um, their own fitness work at the moment so um, yeah we're good we just had a a club um, a members forum on on a zoom call as well just a couple of days ago which went down well and uh, just giving everybody an update of where we are um, from finances to marketing to cricket all the various pillars of the club so um, yeah we're good we're uh, players and, and the coaches are ready to get get rocking uh, and rolling in cricket um, in the next couple of weeks so looking forward to that.
0: Um, well before we uh, before you came on the call me and Michael were just discussing what what does life look like for uh, a county cricket coach during a lockdown in November Um is it kind of in one sense feel like business as usual even though it's all from home? Yeah very much so um,
2: planning all the sessions over the next few weeks and months, um, liaising with um, our cricket operations manager, um, logistical nightmares that Covid creates from making sure guys are doing all their temperature testing at home, making sure guys are sending all their information to the physio. Um, we've got an app that all the guys go on every day and, uh, and type in various answers to various questions. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and looking at logistics of travel from guys coming here from people who are based here or based from up North, who lives with who down here, who can be in one group and, and keep them, try to keep them in the same group, not in separate groups. So a lot of planning, a lot of agents speaking to us at the moment with players, um, everybody, there's a lot of movement at the moment with guys and clubs just tightening their um, Tightening their cloth accordingly, so cutting their cloth accordingly. So yeah, it's um, there's a lot going on. You know, we're planning for, for for the next three four years, which is great.
0: I mean, a lot of people have been saying that trying to organise a family Christmas with lockdown is a logistical nightmare, but I f- I feel trying to arrange a, a whole county cricket squad of X number of players. Twenty one, yeah,
2: twenty one plus coaches, um, physios, strength and nu- uh, nutritionalists. Um, you name it, we've got them, and uh, analytical experts. So um, yeah, it's great. You know, we, we get some good work during this time uh, when we when we can, and um, you know we we do a lot of profiling with our players. We've just profiled all our new players: um, Rishi Patel, Scott Steele, and Ed Barnes. So they've they've been. Um, we've just had um, a, a wonderful session with uh, Inner Matrix. They've gone through all their their uh, profiling with you know their their values, their subconscious thinking um, 2 sort of big traits there and how they make their decisions. So it's really fascinating to know about people. Um, and, and, that, and that saves a lot of time when we're together as a team. You know, Alex Ferguson had his class of 96, had them together for six or seven years and you get to learn each person. And, and you know, you know how somebody's feeling by the look in their face or how they walk into the dressing room, how they sit down. So just to know, just to let each other understand each other For what they're worth and so that we all have a deeper knowledge of each other and and themselves so um you know that that helps the ship goes much smoothly uh much more smoothly in 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 good waters and in tough waters so um it's something that we get our foundation right and that's about people
1: and so so early in your coaching career like one of your first seasons having to do it in covid i mean that's a jump straight into the deep waters isn't it would you say in in a way it sort of brought the squad closer together because i had to be so strict in all the conditions and spend so much time that, just in each other's company. Yeah, definitely. I
2: mean, it, we had to in the first instance. It was one to one training, so we would be in the outdoor nets, um, sort of you know, in the summer, where literally it was you are with you with a player for an hour, then he'd left. Another guy would come in for an hour. There was a actually guys drove in, they filled their forms out, filled their forms out at home, sent it in, drove into the ground, uh, down into a designated loo clean their hands, sanitise, go up into the gym, um, have a one-to-one with a fitness coach in the gym. Um, they then go clean all the equipment. They then go downstairs, clean their hands again, then go into the cricket, get their cricket kit on, come into the nets, do a session with the, with the coach, then leave the ground. And then that was just literally a, a, a rotor system all the way around. Um, and you as a coach, you know, we were we were throwing balls from nine o'clock in the morning till six at night. So... Uh, Hence the reason I'm still having some work on my shoulder right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you may, um, just going back a few years, Paul, so I'm not sure if you remember, I'm sure you did quite a few events, but you actually, you spoke at one of our university uh, cricket balls a few years back. You were absolutely brilliant. Really, really enjoyable night. And we've actually got a photo of you, me and Rob. Embarrassingly, there we're we much older.
2: I remember the boys. I remember the boys. It was a
1: beautiful <laughs> Georgian building, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. Let Spa. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Leamington Spa, nice neck of the woods, yeah, very pucker.
0: Oh, well, um, there we are. Um, I think, I feel I'm looking quite similar. My, Michael, I think you, you have, your hair's looking a bit shorter and probably a bit better for it as well. I'm not quite sure what's going on up there. But um, but no, it's it's great to um, have, have you on, Paul. And actually, before we we were discussing, again, just before we came on, I've often seen it written down, your nickname, spelled N-I-C-O, which I presume is Nico. But yeah. um, Michael keeps insisting on saying Nico, like your Nico Crangshaw, <laughs> the Tottenham player. And so I just wanted to clarify that it is Nico and not Nico.
2: I answer to most things. Um, being a Cumbrian farmer, son, I've been called most things in my life. Um, but um, yeah, one or two people call me Nico, but the majority call Ian Salisbury, since I was on the Lord's Ground staff with Sols many years ago and toured with him, great man, uh, and now Sussex coach, which is wonderful news. Um, yeah, he calls me Nico, um, but uh, most people call me Nico.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, Nico, I think any comparison to the great Nico Kranchgaard is a pretty good one as well. So <laughs> um, uh, the Lord's Grand Staff, is that how you got into cricket then, Paul? Is that how you got into professional cricket?
2: Yeah, it was. I was very lucky. Um, played England schools a couple of years young, played with Matt Ramfrakash, and then played the following year. And um, I went to Lancashire on trial, just signed Warren Haig, Went to Warwickshire on trial. Keith Piper was just there at the same time and they went with Keith. And um, unfortunately for me, yeah, Don Wilson saw me. He was looking after the Lord's Ground Staff, the MCC and pros. And uh, 1988, I was on the Lord's Ground Staff. And um, yeah, probably before you boys were born. And then uh, I went and look, came on the Lord's Ground Staff, was with Middlesex for a few weeks. They didn't, um, they didn't, they didn't um, want to sign me. And then I came up to to Leicestershire on trial against Alan Donald in the second team. He was balling absolute. Legalized stoning, as they say, um, rockets, and then, um, yeah, I got a couple of 30s in the game and uh, signed and signed just after that game, which is great.
0: Given that, obviously, shows a huge amount of dedication and perseverance. You've named almost half the first class counties there that you, you trial that, try and knock on the door trying to get that gig before you got a chance at Leicestershire was wanting to become a professional cricketer was that an ambition from that from a young age when you realized you're pretty good at this game were you like this is what I want for my career or was it something that you kind of slightly more stumbled into in your, in your late teens
2: yeah no I, I mean I loved and tre- cherished all sport I was very lucky I'm from a sports mad family my my uh, great grandfather grandfather all played local cricket my dad Played local cricket, um, captained up in the batting, loved it, balled with a left-hand spin. Um, he was then umpire for many years. And it was old sport, football, cricket, rugby. I was fortunate to sort of captain Cumbria uh, a minor county in that in all formats at sort of 15, 16 age group-wise. And um, my cricket was always more natural than anything. I love football and rugby as much as my cricket. But um, yeah, I think um, my ambition was to play football for Cal United as a boy. I wanted to be a fox in the Blue Army uh, at Mighty Brunton Park. And, um, yeah, I, but but fortunately, you know, I played football at Penrith. I was, uh, as a sort of 15, 16-year-old, I was um, I was very lucky that Bob Stoko was our manager for a little while, the legend Bob Stoko uh, bless him, and um, Sunderland um, folk hero. And, uh, yeah, it, it was cricket that always was more natural and more instinctive and... You know, it was probably my authentic self playing cricket and uh, I, I loved it. And um, yeah, I was more of a, of a batsman sort of come wicketkeeper in those days. And um, I was really lucky that I got the opportunity to play sort of, county county schools, then sort of north of England and England schools. And then eventually Lord's Grant staff and MCC and professionals
1: Then and Celeste. Was only when growing up as a, as a young wicketkeeper, was there anyone you particularly like modelled your game on or saw as a bit of a hero?
2: Oh, you know, I loved, you know, my dad was um, passionate cricket, so we'd, we'd, I remember he bought me this pie Tube Cube, this little TV radio cassette recorder when I was a boy that I could watch the Ashes on, and he used to wake me up at night and we'd, uh, we'd, we'd sit and watch the Ashes, and, you know, you look at all the, the legends, the, the, uh, some of the Aussies, the Aussie keepers, um, and uh, obviously, you know, Alan Knott was a, was, a, was a great hero as a kid, Um, I think Notty and Bob Taylor were were world-class at the time and um, yeah then obviously Jack Russell probably a little bit latterly I enjoyed watching Jack Uh, but yeah Rodney Marsh watching Rodney Marsh as a kid was great taking flying catches standing 30 yards back but um, yeah I just I just enjoyed all keepers I enjoyed watching goalkeepers I enjoyed watching cricket wicket keepers about movement and posture and balance and rhythm and timing of foot placement etc so yeah I always enjoyed that that sort of detail to it as well but um yeah it's just great to play it's something you love and I always wanted to do that my dad always pushed me into sport away from farming because uh, you know we had, a, we had a couple of farms Langwathby Hall and Crossfell View Farm that were right next to each other that, 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 that my dad ran and my grandfather ran and they just um, always seemed to give me the tough jobs to make sure I appreciated my sport.
0: You then so you said you joined Leicestershire. you have a um, a long and, and very fine county career and um, what were the, if you had to pick two or three highlights from your time playing county cricket what would they be?
2: Certainly in 1996 we had a fantastic side we were the most consistent side in the country we, we um, won the championship comfortably in 96 we bat, actually batted once on 10 occasions in, you know, in, in, in all that cricket we literally batted once 10 times out of, what, 15, 16 games, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, was- uh, I don't think anybody
2: would ever do that ever again. It was, a, it was an amazing dominance. So being in that side, winning the Canaan Championship for the first time is phenomenal because it's this marathon that you're with the guys, day in, day out, you know, hours hours and hours of hard graft together, the good times, the bad times, and to, and to win so many games of cricket so convincingly and we saw Dominant was um, was very special. And you go to, obviously, Buckingham Palace to collect your trophy, uh, which is always nice, a nice day out at the Palace. And, um, yeah, you know, winning winning county championships are magical. 96-98 was phenomenal. Um, obviously, latterly, it was T20s. Uh, went to Kent. We won uh, the Sunday league there with Kent. But um, I think my last T20, knowing that it was one of my, my last major game for for Leicestershire on a big occasion, a finals day with my last game, to win that game was very special as well. But um, you ask all guys now, what do they want to win, a T20
1: or win the county championship? I believe nine out of 10 will take the county championship. And you mentioned that that one with Leicestershire 2011. I remember watching that live actually, and in on the, both the semi and the final, I think you defended pretty low totals. Uh, and I can imagine you were pretty instrumental, being vocal behind the stumps as he defended them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I remember it was really impressive. And I think Matthew Hoggar was the captain, I remember.
2: Yeah, Hoggy was
1: captain. Um,
2: yeah, we you know we, we were never favourites. Everybody always went for the big clubs. Um, I mean, we always knew about the wickets. The wickets were... The wicket was tough. And you had to get in and it, and it took time. And, and with it being the same pitch as the other, other games, it always turns more, it always stays in the pitch more. So you know... are the opposition players that can hurt you and who can take the game from you who's going to play the spin well who can play the short balls well uh into the pitch cutters taking the pace off and we always knew that people like josh butler um somerset who was a good player you knew that some of the guys that you know like um hildreth who's a good sweeper reverse sweepers playing square the wicket anybody could be strong square the wicket we knew that they could hurt us and it was about, you know, putting those guys under big pressure because, you know, we knew that it was competitive but 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 low. We had to ball well. We knew we could ball well. with we the armour to ball well, pace off and hold our lengths. Uh, but uh, we knew that the pressure was on two or three key players. And, uh, you know, Josh Butler is an, a, a phenomenal striker of a cricket ball. We all know that. And uh, how well he plays square of the wicket. So we try to put him under a lot of pressure. Uh, him, Hildreth, James Hildreth is a class act. Uh, and also... Um, uh, they're overseas pro well, Pollard, Karen Pollard, so he was, uh, you know, he, he, he'd say cricket ball like a golf ball, you know, phenomenal strength and power, and he could miss it for six, and yeah. those are guys that can, that can change games, you know, they have multi-boundary overs and multi-boundary overs win games of cricket in T20, and um, they, were, they were the three sort of key guys. Once we, got, once we got sort of treads early, we knew we could do it, and I, I just put pressure on them, and that it was down to them and make you know, took them into the past about when they'd failed and took them into the future about when they go back after having failed uh, back to Taunton and their fans and their friends in the farming community.
0: I mean, on that, do you kind of, when you were a player, were you keeping an eye out for moments when players had failed so that you could bring it up next time you saw them? I mean, I know that makes you sound like a far more callous individual than I'm, I'm sure you are, <laughs> within a kind of context of, um, yeah, playing, was that something you were actively keeping an eye on or remembering so that you could just be, oh, I remember when you bottled it against Kent last year or whatever it might be.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You have little, yeah, you'd get you'd make a few little notes about them or certainly how people were playing and how they were getting out. We knew all figures and stats of, of how people were getting out LB or caught and bowled or run out or whatever it may be. We'd make sure that we highlighted what they've done in the last couple of games to throw negatives into them. You know, we want to win. And if we can take people out of their uh, their mental routines and their physical routines, more, more their mental routines, then we've got a chance. So, um, yeah, you know, at that at, at, at county level, international level, it's fine margins. There's a lot of seriously good players around. It's about momentum. It's about their mindsets working well that day. And, um, you know, if we can sort of, you know, get into that mindset and take them away from their focus and onto our focus,
1: then we've got a far better chance of getting them out and put them under pressure. I suppose in T20 cricket as well, the margin even finer, like it's those moments. So it's your role, I guess, as keeper, as the chat behind the stumps, try anything just to get in their heads, just to throw them off, even yeah. for a ball, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we had, you know, we had balls that we had, we had certain plans for certain batsmen and certain balls that we were going to deliver if they were, you know, two or three balls together. So in a way, you talk start talking about a bouncer or, or, or something else, but actually it wasn't the bounce that was coming. It was might have been a full Yorker. So we were trying to, we were to you know, the best bowling T20 cricket you can, you can bowl is the ball the batsman least expects. So the more of that that we could create as a group, especially the guys close to the wicket and being a keeper, you're in the TV slot a lot. Um, so, you know, they can focus on you rather than, if you're at a backward point or you're you're on the drive on the offside, then they can't really, you know, they don't see much of you or hear much of you. So, um, yeah, it was it was more about that, about our tactics and how we could try and throw the batsman off thinking what was
1: coming down. Because if, you know, the world's best often make ballers ball where they want them to. Have you got any particular stories or moments like where it's really worked? You know, where you've ne- you've laid the trap, someone's fallen into hookline hook line, zinger, and mind the mind the windows Tino kind of moment where you've really got a batsman to 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 go the way you wanted them to.
2: Um, not as clean cut as that one, but um, yeah, I mean, many over the years. As far as I remember, David Smith, who was played at Sussex and um, the Man Mountain, about six foot five Warwickshire cricketer who was a outstanding guy and outstanding player he uh, was tough as all boots as well he didn't mess with smithy and i think one day i got a bit giddy and he and, and i was sort of giving him a lot of stick about um because into race car driving he's so big it was like you know how the hell he could fit his head into a race car never mind the whole body he was massive and uh, and uh, he got out just after that he was raging he wasn't happy with what i was talking about and um, he came in and he actually punched a hole straight through our dressing room door on the way out of the ground, uh, on the way back into the dressing room, and for me, the lads told me about it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And they wound me up, say, "Nico, he's he's after you, mate. He's going to nail you." So I actually, uh, I think I left the ground very quickly that day. I think they got the twelfth man to bring my uh, my blazer and tie. and I went straight from the uh, straight from the gate of the cricket club, straight not into the dressing room, straight home into the car park, and straight home. So you know, sometimes you have a bit of luck, and sometimes you
1: don't.
0: Yeah, you've got to be careful. He he wound up. Um, a friend of my dad's played a rugby game against uh, a prison um, and he got, on the wrong, he got on the wrong side of a bloke in the back row for the, the prison side and a, a ruck on the floor, the, the bloke who he'd wound up, the number eight, just said to him you know, I'm not in here for eating sweeties mate <laughs> and, and he's like oh my words like what is this guy gonna do to me and he literally the rest of the he kind of fainted in English about five minutes later like, oh I think I've done my hamstring just get off the pitch because-
2: <laughs> we actually we actually used to do a um an assault course an indoor assault course in the, one of the local prisons in Leicester in pre-season and the guys the inmates used to be with us and we used to be doing this various laps of this uh of this sort of zigzag assault course and I promise you what it certainly got the lads running a little bit quicker and jumping a bit higher and a bit faster when the inmates were chasing them around as well so uh, I might use that I forgot about that I might use that this uh,
1: this pre-season with the lads back uh, down to the prison. But well, they can thank us for that um we can you just um obviously you know like Rob said you had a long fine career but you got called up to England at the age of I think 35. Can you just tell us about a few times before then you thought you were close to a call up before it happened?
2: Yeah, 36. Um, yeah, I got on an England A tour in 1994-95 uh, and um, I had a couple of, with Keith Piper actually, funnily enough, and we had a couple of test matches, three test matches, I played two. We did well against um, against India and, uh, and Bangladesh and um, thought I was going to come back and play and um, first game back was the England A versus the Champions of the previous summer, which was Warwickshire. And uh, I was facing Alan Donald, Matt Ramper, catch 100 at the other end, playing like God, as Ramps always did. And uh, another 100 to his 100 and plenty. And um, yeah, and, and I thought I was going to play and Alan Donald bounced me and, and uh, just bounced a bit and hit my left thumb and shattered my left thumb. And uh, that put me out for many, many weeks. And uh, and then I think Jack Russell or Stu, it might have been Jack Russell got in the, in the England team and I thought my time was gone. But, um, uh, you know, I carried the drinks in 2000 um, to Pakistan and Sri Lanka with Alex Stewart and the gaffer would never let me have a go. He never let me get in. Um, I, 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 got, I got a few runs in a few of the games, the, the games in between, but never got a go. I thought I might be able to drop my bat in the, in the dressing room on his big toe and break his big toe. Or okay. Just just lock a bathroom door into his fingers as he was holding it open for me. But sadly, he never did. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you're getting the, you're thinking you're close a lot, but um, not quite Not quite your name on the team sheet. So to get a call from David Graveney when I was 36 to go out to Australia after a good county summer in 2006, then, um, you know, it was, it was a dream. So um, I was in good physical shape and mental shape. I'd come off a good year. You know, Michael Vaughan told me to keep loose just in case. So, um, yeah, brilliant. Del- delighted to eventually get the call, guys,
0: yeah. Obviously, you came into the England team at an interesting time. So Mm.
1: that
0: that ashes over that winter was a a bit of a disaster. Sort of payback for 2005. England lose 5-0. You're then playing some of those limited overs games after. Uh, What what was that like after the the wider squad had been um, on the wrong end of a real drubbing and and the chips were down, really?
2: Yeah, it was an interesting time because the, you know, there was, One or two of the guys have been doing quite nicely, but as a team that had been struggling and and got you know five nil whitewash. Um, and it was a really somber as it is, but you forget because you we're coming in six or seven of us, you know, buzzing, ready, up for it, bring it on, you know, feel 10 feet tall, feel bulletproof. Right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna beat the Aussies, you know, no question, it's just matter of fact, we're gonna do it. And um, it was interesting how the other guys were not necessarily damage was the wrong word, but the guys were in a real low and fun guys who were, you know, you know the Strausses, the Paul Collingwoods, the F- F- Freddies, KPs, really fun guys and, and full of banter, full of fun, full of mischief were in a really sort of sombre place that uh, would really surprise me because the last time you've seen them, when you had banter with them in England, you're always having fun. And um, it amazed me how... It was a real sort of cloud over everybody. And it was up to us. And Duncan Fletcher said, listen, guys, we need your help. The guys who are arriving in the one-day squad, you've got to lift these guys. We need some fun. We need some banter. Get them out. We'll train hard. We'll have a beer at the right time. And we'll make sure that we that we focus in on our sessions. And um, that's what we tried to do, you know, we just try to create some spirit, have a bit of fun, make it lighthearted and be at our most natural and, authentic selves again, because it can be tough when you're losing and you're and consistently losing and you're in that spotlight and you can't get away from it. You're in Australia. Every time you have room service, somebody's going to say something to you. Wherever you go in a restaurant, a bar, whatever, you are in the big brother house and everybody's watching. And um, sometimes that can drag the guys down a little bit after, after a while, especially
1: when they're not doing so well. And I guess that must have really contrasted for you. You're coming, it's your first tour. Well, not your first tour, but, you know, your you, you pull-up, you're likely to play, you must have been buzzing. And then, you know, you're coming into this. The Australians must have been pretty cock-a-hoop as well. I'm guessing they were all over you from the moment you walked onto the pitch.
2: Oh, absolutely. Before that, you know, um, how are we going to, you know, whitewash us in, the, in, this, in this format as well. Um, you know, what are Australia doing? Bring this bloke who's got his pension book in his pocket uh, on the news every night. You know, it's quite funny watching that and... Um, yeah, you know, wonderful. And that just adds fuel to your fire because ultimately it means nothing. It's great fun. It's great banter. You take it. It charges you forward to do well and, um, you know, and it motivates and that's how it has to be at that level. And um, yeah, you know, you just want to prove people wrong and, and go and, you know, support your teammates
1: and go and and go and give match-winning performances. Yeah, definitely. And um, you were captain by Freddie Flintoff. And, you know, last year or so, quite a lot's come out with Freddie talking quite honestly about his struggles of bulimia and his mental health. And does any of that stuff kind of coming out give you new thoughts on how it was being captained by him at the time?
0: And just to add, just to, add to that, um, Paul, you've spoken a couple of times, you've mentioned that term, someone's authentic self. Um, and do you have maybe looking back feeling that he really wasn't being his authentic self and he was playing up to a, to a, a role that was expected of him after 2005 and things like that?
2: Very much so. Very much so. And I think wonderful to, to, that Freddie has been honest and open as he has been. And um, I think we were together when he wasn't his authentic self. I think he really was was struggling then. He he actually had time away from the group. And he went with the head of security, Reggie, and he went out on some Harley Davidsons out in the countryside and spent a few days away from everything, and uh, which he needed to do. So... Um, yeah, he was battling a bit then. He was sort of starting to drink a little bit too much. Um, his weight. I remember speaking to him one morning, we were getting up in a, in a, in a swimming pool and um, I was very open, and honest and straight. And we talked about uh, I talked about getting fit. He had to get fit because he had so many more years to go. And he was a, a legend of England. And, you know, I came in as this sort of you know, passionately fit guy that, that loved his fitness, a big improvement in my game because of it and longevity in my career because of it. And I was desperate for, for Freddie to go well. Um, and it was almost like, he'd almost not switched off, but he just was, you know, he's up to, the, he's up to there with everything and he just needed some time away. So, uh, so he went to do that and had that and, and came back better and had a, you know, bowled brilliantly and, and, hit, and hit some decent runs in that in that one-day team as well. So I'm, I'm pleased that he's, he's um, you know, been honest. And I think now watching him present TV and seeing him now, he is his authentic self. I think he's brilliant, and I think on Top Gear and, and the other shows, the rowing show is on, um, I, I just see a sparkle back in his eyes, and I'm really pleased for him and his family because um, you know he, he, everybody loves him. Everybody loves Freddie because he's, of what he's done for the country, the way he's gone about it, um, and he's and he's and he's a fun guy. Yeah,
0: yeah. How how did you um. I remember, so it's another one. I'd love to almost you retell the anecdote because I've retold it badly, I'm sure, several times since I heard it. But I remember you talking about going out to bat with Kevin Peterson at the other end. Um, and he he didn't think you were the you were the best player to have ever played for England. <laughs> um, do you want to retell that for us?
2: Uh, yeah, it was my debut story, really. Yeah, it's slightly exaggerated at times, but hey, makes a good story, lads, doesn't it? Um, yeah, you know, we just played Australia in the first T20 at Sydney um we, we you know it was my debut in, in t20 cricket i would got a nice you know i'm obviously petrified walking out nervous adrenaline's buzzing um tell myself i'm excited and i'm ready for it but um you know you, you, you're ticking and um luckily got off a mark with with paul collingwood and um anyway anyway it was went to smack it and ended up getting 31 i think i got off about 21 balls 20 21 balls and felt quite good not out at the end of the day and I thought wow this I'm all right with this international cricket and we go got to Melbourne MCG and that was in front of 46,000 now at Leicestershire we have about uh, three men and a couple of dogs uh, that are sporadically coming throughout the season which is great uh, so um, yeah ended up, ended up we then go to Melbourne and um, my true authentic debut as authentic is our word of the day. And, um, yeah, ended up, ended up the only ground in the world, which is a circular ground that you walk on and walk off from a different place. All the cricketers, they listen. You, you you walk on and walk off from the same place normally. But this is the only place I've ever played cricket that, that you don't. And uh, ended up, um, you know, getting up to the lift and you go up the lift to the, to the third or fourth floor and you walk into the viewing gallery. KP's smashing it everywhere. Ian Bell's smashing it everywhere. All of a sudden... Wicket, it, wicket, it, wicket. It. I'm in. Get my bats, two bats. Play a few shadow shots. You know, square cut, pull shot. Put one bat down so it makes my bat feel light. A little, you know, psychological thing I used to do. Walk down the steps into the, um, into the, into the dressing uh, from the dressing room out onto the field. KP meets me on the 30-yard circle. Are you ready, Nico? Give me the strike, mate. I'm seeing it big. I'm like, all right, Kev. I'm I'm walking like Bruce Grubbel area, mate. But um, you know. Give me a chance. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So I walk to the wiki, get my two, my guard of two, two taps, two taps. have a little superstition, do everything in twos, um a little mental routine. Hit the first ball back nice and straight, feel good. Kev gives me a nod saying, yeah, good shot, good shot. Anyway, next ball, square leg, no run. Next ball, backward point, no run. Kev's like looking at me going, give me the strike, Nick. Give me the strike. Kev, I'm doing my very best, mate. I'm doing my very best. Next ball, bang, straight to mid off another run. Kev's like looking at the dressing room going, who is this idiot I am batting with? You. He's rubbish this bloke. Uh, all he's got to do is get one. Um anyway, so he comes down and says, listen, Nico, just tap it. I'll face next over at the end, at the other end. No problem, Kev. Just block it, I'll face the next over. All right, Kev. Next ball. Um uh, Clark the seamer just nips one back, hits my thigh pad down to final leg for one. Oh my god! I sprint for two, turn around as fast as I can. Kev's just sitting on his back, just shaking his head. Can't believe that I've got the strike. Um, next thing, change of bowling. Brett Lee comes off bowling absolute cannonballs, which is unbelievable. And um, thankfully for me, then Mitchell Johnson's coming on, and this was when he was sort of just starting off, and he wasn't that consistent. I'm thinking, up it is. Other half, all you a square cut here for me to get off the mark. Next thing, first ball, bang, straight to mid-off, no run, oh, good to you. KP, he's like, um, next ball, in-swinging Yorker, 91 miles an hour, hits my big toe.
1: How is that?
2: And all the Aussies are shouting and screaming, and they're holding on to the appeal, and I'm thinking, not out. I'm on two legs, open stance, left arm over, reverse swing, missing leg stump, not out. All of a sudden, umpire, Rudy, <laughs> out. Cut it. What do you do? You look after you, you look at your, your non striker, and he normally goes, Oh, terrible decision. this on fire. He terrible. Kev's like, Yeah, away you go, Nico. Yeah, out go, mate. What do I do? I walk off. The world's poshest man, Jamie Dalrymple, the next batsman, comes in, meets me in the 30 yard circle. Um, Nico, you idiot. What on earth are you doing here? I go, Oh, no. Just as he said that, the big screen, the 30 meter square screen. P.A. Nixon, L.B.W. Johnston, zero. So I've got to turn round and I've got to walk now all the way past the Aussies and all the way to the other side, which is the largest cricket ground in the world. And Leicester's the second largest. As I'm walking off, the laugh gets louder and louder every 20 yards. P.A. Nixon, L.B.W. Johnston, zero. Career runs, zero. Career average, zero. Career strike rate, zero. If you only had, Pierre Nixon walked off the right direction zero. I'd have had the Olympic rings on my international
1: debut. So, and gutted, lads, gutted, and we got beat as well, even worse. On the back of it, you made you made it to a World Cup, um, which is you know every boy's dream growing up. How was that playing in a World Cup for England? Phenomenal, I loved it. Um,
2: and I, and I, and I'd not really, I was really pleased to get it because and Duncan Fletcher backed me because. I hadn't really scored the runs I should have scored in Australia. I got I got in on a couple of wickets that were good pitches that I should have scored runs on and didn't. And I tried to probably play too positively too soon. And I learned from that that actually I've got to give myself more of a chance. And I did that in the World Cup. And, um, you know, I was I had a good World Cup. I was consistent, averaged high 30s, 36, 37, uh, with a good strike rate, And um, got us out of trouble a few times and had some good partnerships. And, Cleared the rope several times, and um, yeah, you know, kept well. I'd always kept well. Uh, Australia is a great place to keep, and an easy place to keep. And um, it was a bit tougher, obviously, in, in the West Indies. It was a bit skiddier. Some some pitches turn, some don't, and um, yeah, just great, you know. Because we had we had, on paper, we had a good side. We just didn't get the runs we should have scored. We just never our top order. You want one of your top order to get you know a couple of hundred partnerships or eighty partnership plus somebody to go and get a big score. People play around them, but we never really had that. We just were always two wickets down, you know, 30 behind, 40 behind too many times.
0: Yeah. Um, just for the, the last sort of five, 10 minutes that we've got with you, I'd love to hear from you a bit more about, um, I remember you, you speaking previously about match fixing and the, and the kind of opportunities there were for you to engage in the nefarious activity as, as a player. Talk a little bit more about that and how much of a, problem and challenge for cricket do you think that still
2: is uh yeah good question i mean match fixing's a cancer in our game and um you know obviously it's it's um they talk about the underground money we have we have um the anti-corruption officers that that come to a lot of cricket games um and in fact funnily enough at leicestershire we spoke to the ecb about it um last year um at leicestershire because it was um there's nobody allowed in the crowd in the crowd we had actually guys outside our gate that we spoke to the ecb about um who were probably commenting commentating on the game possibly for for not necessarily for match fixing but certainly telling people abroad because they were there live on the live feed telling people abroad what was happening um and people could then place bets and do things from that so um, yeah you know it, it's it's a massive it's a massive counter our game that we've got to get rid of um there's uh, you know people get spoken to uh, and offered deals consistently I believe um, anti-corruption are, 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 are very active around the world in all in all tournaments we have to give our any big games we play in any tournaments you always give your mobile phones in any games on TV we give our mobile phones in only the head coach um, and the, and, the, and the manager, um, can keep his phone. Everybody else, all the players, everybody's coaches, are, their, their phones are confiscated and given to the the, uh, the governing board. So uh, it's it's something that you know um, many people have been have been offered money. I've been offered money years ago, big money, life changing money. But you know, yeah, you've got having you know, the integrity of the game is crucial, and um, I think I, I'm sure it's uh, it's an area that every country are trying to clamp down on and players now we, you know, Shaqib Alassane is one, um, a a recent guy who, you know, he he didn't mention an approach and, uh, you know, he got banned, he got a big, long ban from it. And that's the right thing we have to do now. We've got to give the police powers that they can come and get hold of your phone at any stage and have a look at conversations and just be really proactive. Um, because, you know, we want to get rid of it and it's, you know, there's always going to be underground in every, in in every sport and every, you know, betting, gaming, whatever. But um, we've got to make sure that our players and especially our younger players coming into the game um, don't get corrupted in any way, shape, or form.
0: Is this something you speak to your players at Leicester Street about, quite frankly, and regularly?
2: Yeah, the PCA, the Professional Cricket Association, come in uh, with anti-corruption guys and and do a a chat generally minimum once a year in pre-season time. Um, they chat to academies as well. So our, our, you know, our, our, our youngsters coming through are made aware of it. We try and do sort of workshops with coaches where we put them in different situations and challenge them about it and talk about it and discuss it. So, yeah, we, I think we, we have to as a game. It's something that that's comes from the top, from ECB and, and, and the governing body, the ICC. And that's crucial that we we do as much as we can as players, coaches, custodians of the game.
1: Definitely, and like that added responsibility for you as a coach must come along with other a lot of other new responsibilities you never had as a player. How did you get into coaching, and do you prefer it to being a player? Or is it just too different to be able to compare?
2: Yeah, too different. I mean, it's um, as a player, it's it's all about you. You're the you're the um, you know, Jeremy Snape used to say, "You're the managing director of your own company as you're a player." But actually, as a coach, it's quite the opposite. It's about everybody else. It's always about everybody else. And um, certainly with the hats that I wear at the moment, at Leicestershire, you know, at the, you know, we can't afford at the moment a director of cricket, a head coach, and a batting coach. So um, I'm doing all three roles. So um, sorry, maybe hear my dog back in the background there. That's right. Postman's probably arrived. Uh, So, we're just training to get the post off the postman, and he gets a treat if he doesn't chew it up. So, um, performance coaching, even at home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't stop. (laughs) And uh, yeah. So, you know, it's all about the lads and giving them the best opportunity can, both physically, tactically, technically, mentally. Um, You know, we've sports psychologists, we've got um, analytics experts, we've got, um, you know, brilliant strength and nutritionists, strength and conditioning coaches. Um, So, it's about no stone unturned to make sure that you get, you know, everybody's maximized and um, you give them the best opportunity. And uh, yeah, we're going in the right direction, which is great. We're, we're changing the culture, as you can see, a new breed of fox on, the, on behind me there, look. Like, okay. We're creating a new breed of fox, and um, and that's what we want. You know, it's um, we want to win again. Leicester, we're a very proud heritage of winning. Uh, it's been quiet for a few years now. We've, you know, we've. We've got a new breed of fox coming through. There's a lot of the older guys that have moved on now, and um, it's time
1: now to, to be uh, really hungry and consistent and uh, start winning again. I've, um, I've my, Leicestershire, actually, my favourite county, because I'm actually from Surrey, but never really liked the Surrey cricket team, never really clicked with me. And I've always been an England fan, but Leicestershire, I've always had a soft spot for. Um, I really liked the team in 2011. Hoggy's one of my favourite players. Um, always play them on our caps and computer games. So, here. Yeah, I love Leicester. hope. Hope you guys can turn it around.
0: Um, there's a new format. Obviously, uh, last summer to the county cricket with the Bob Willis Trophy. Uh, that kind of format. Were you a fan of it? Would you like to see county cricket format change from the what had been the Div One, Div Two format for a long time?
2: No, I love it. I love the new format. I actually mentioned it in my Cricketers Who's Who a few years ago. Um, yeah, I think the format's brilliant because it, it, it makes more teams more available to to go, you know, to, 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 to win or to um, be in the top bracket to go then through. So um, I love it. It makes more games more competitive. And I think this year's format, the way they've designed it, is the best it can possibly be. I really believe that. I think, um, you know, playing out 10 games and then the next four games, then... You know, you decide where you're going to be in in, in for next year's leagues. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be class, and uh, we're looking forward to to actually playing some different teams. You know, you end up playing against the same guys day in day out, and especially with the northern group as well. We had a northern, quite a northern-based team. You end up playing the same guys four or five times a year, and actually, it, it got quite not dull because it's kind of cricket. But you 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 know, your team meetings get shorter and shorter because everybody knows each other inside out. So to go back to the Oval, go back to um, to Lords, down to Somerset, um, you know, some fantastic pitches. Um, We've gone back down to Gloucester, which is great. So, um, yeah, just, just you know, back to the Rose Bowl. I haven't been the Rose Bowl for many years. So, um, you know, it's exciting to have, to do more prep for our position. And, uh, you know, we, we're going you know, different, different venues against different players, which is wonderful and very good players. So it's great.
1: Really good for fans as well. Obviously, we didn't get to watch it this time around, but for me, Following it, it was really, I don't know, it was a breath of fresh air, the new format. We, I really enjoyed it.
0: And when they decide a format like that, how much was it administrators dictating, this is what we're going to do? And how much was it a more collaborative discussion with the counties to find a format that people want and that suits different types of counties from smaller counties, bigger counties, richer counties, poorer counties?
2: Mm. Well, one thing I can say is thats that, is that- there's an absolute unity in the directors of cricket and head coaches that everybody wants every county to play. Uh, we all want the best for each other. And there's been some really good, honest, open chats and debates uh, over recent last couple of years that I've been involved with, with the guys uh, on calls. Martin Moxham heads it up from Yorkshire. And um, you know, a lot of the senior guys, the Alex Stewarts, the Gus Frasers, um, you know, a lot of these guys, Paul Alex, have been around a long time now and, and, and been through many different formats and systems. So for me to be on there to see the unity that's involved and, you know, once ECB think about something and then, you know, speak to us as director of cricket and head coaches, uh, we give our views and opinions that gets then taken to chief execs and to chairman. So throughout the sort of, you know, that system, um, we generally get to the, to the, to the right answer.
1: It sounds, it sounds like it's done the way it should be. Everyone gets to say, um, "Yeah, and- definitely." Yeah, you feel that. You feel you feel valued,
2: and you you know it's um it is a pretty unanimous quite often. Yeah,
1: good. And final question for me, Paul, controversial one, but um, the hundred. What are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, I love it. I think it's brilliant. Anything that, that brings world class players into our game, um, some something that it reminds me a little bit of the Indian cricket league that I played in in India many years ago before the IPL started. Four or five overseas coming in uh, for a block. And um, it, it's it's wonderful. It's going to bring a lot of money to our game. Every county, Leicestershire, we're going to get two or three million pounds from it. Uh, well, four or five over, over a few years, which is wonderful. We're going to have money for infrastructure and doing our ground up. It's going to vibrate its way down into, into club cricket and, and kids cricket. So anything that's positive, for me, that brings money in. That can pump bums on seats, a new audience, world class stars. Our our players, our best county players playing against world class stars, is what it's all about. And that's where you know it gets closer to international cricket. And that's what you want because if if guys can step up and play in the four in the hundred format, then England know that you know they can still keep producing England players.
0: So, yeah, and two, two thoughts from me quickly on that. Firstly, when doing a bit of prep for this podcast, I had a, a little look at the, in, the Indian Cricket League. Um, some cracking kits. They were real sort of 90s football style kits. The team you played for, I think it was Delhi, Delhi Giants. Uh, I did get my hands on a shirt, I tell you. That was an amazing kit. Our
2: kit was, they were enormous. They were, That was like one size fits all. Really and baggy. It
0: was, it looked like yeah. a goalkeeper for Borussia Mönchengladbach in the 90s. That's <laughs> it. <was amazing. laughs>
2: Brilliant. They were massive. You're right. We had Shane Bond, about six foot three, big strong lad, and it was massive on him. So imagine the Indian guys who are like five foot four and about seven and a half stone dripping went through is hilarious. Yeah. Well, luckily, there wasn't too much wind. Um, otherwise it might have disappeared off screen.
0: <laughs> um, but the other thing on the hundred, I'm as anyone a little bit skeptical of the format initially, although I, I got it it's trying to be different from 2020. And, um, but I, I'm almost with the lockdown being delayed a year. I'm all the more excited and hopeful that it will be a shot in the arm of, yeah, of English cricket really. And certainly speaking personally, my wife has no interest in cricket, and so I'm I'm it's dead hard. keen. Yeah, I'm dead keen to get get her along to. Um, we, we Michael and I both live in London, but you get them along to games at Laws, games at the Oval, uh, and that might live short format easy to understand there's 100 balls it counts down to zero but that really might well be the kind of gateway drug to proper cricket if, if you like although of course it's proper cricket in its, in its own way but, but you, you know what I mean
2: 100% and that's what you know my missus has been involved with cricket for for 30 years and um she's you know she's got no interest in four-day cricket or never had interest in four-day cricket 2020 you know loves it loves the game loves bringing all the friends, they get the wine out, they have a look, the six is flying around. It gets close. It gets close. We win some, we lose some, hopefully more than, you know, we win more than we lose. And you know, everybody's at a party. So um, you know, it and then that then resonates into the into the into the one day game in the 50 over, then into the county championships. So um, it's definitely the way forward and uh, to, to get the youngsters, make it exciting. Years ago when I started it was not getting out. Now it's about hit it for four and six and then block it. And that's what I want from our youngsters, turning that mentality around that go and be exciting, go and be positive. And we've seen that from England. How positive Mm. cricket England play at the moment under Wayne Morgan. You know, it's no fear, it's go out there and it's win from any position.
0: Definitely. Well, Um, thank you very much, Paul, for joining us. It's been absolutely Thank you so much. I would happily talk to you for another hour, but sadly, you, you probably want to go and get on with your day. And I've got um, customers in the world of car insurance to speak to, so um, I will have it's very to.
2: Expensive for cricketers as well, like car insurance
0: for some <laughs> yeah. reason. Cricketers get look, special just,
2: sportsmen. Yeah, come we, on, look after us.
0: We, well, we we don't we don't actually offer prices to professional sportsmen. They're they're considered too high risk. You're your liability behind the wheel, apparently, Paul.
2: Crazy, eh?
0: um but uh, look, no there we go thank you so much again uh, have a lovely rest of the day and yeah it was five years we last saw you maybe in another five years we, we see you again
1: good luck for the uh, good luck for the rest of the off season and the upcoming season as well thanks michael thanks rob take care lads right rob so how'd
0: you find that i thought it was wonderful yeah it was it was great he was dead chatty very generous with his time and spoke about some really interesting things. I, I was particularly struck by that, that authentic self term he used, and around ha- how important the holistic well-being of the cricketer—not just their games going well, but that they're they're content and happy within themselves—and the impact that can have on 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 their game.
1: You get this very forward-thinking coach, and like you said, because of the you know budget pressures at a county cricket club at Leicestershire, you know he's he's the batting coach. He's the He's the first team coach, he's probably the keeping coach. Like he's having to do a huge amount of roles, but he's just got so much energy. And yeah, it was really great to chat to him and hear how it's been for him the first couple of years of his career as a coach. Um, also really interesting, I thought, to hear about the match-fixing issues that cricket's constantly facing and have presented themselves to him at points.
0: Yeah, um, for sure. I think it's it's slightly alarming and gives a sense of the scale of the problem when there are blokes on mobile phones to another part of the world at a behind-closed-doors county cricket game. This isn't something just for big matches, big arenas, international cricket. Indeed, that's probably maybe one of some of the safest arenas because it's so high-profile. And it's at those uh, maybe lower-level games or or less publicised games where they can be really susceptible to to match-fixing. And, of course, it's in those contexts where the offer of extra money to even just a wide or a no-ball, like we saw with Pakistan a few years ago, is all the more tempting because you're not on a big, fat central contract you're on a slightly more modest county salary. Yeah, and so the dangers there are, are, are real. And it was encouraging to hear him speak so openly about it and about how frank they are with, with players. And one hopes that's replicated across all 18 counties and indeed replicated across first-class sides around the cricketing world.
1: Very sinister. That's the word I'd use to describe it. That situation he described with the guys on their phones outside the you know empty stadium is very sinister. One thing I do think they could do, and it's like done quite well, and you can see with like former gambling addicts with football, is they come and speak to players about the dangers of gambling. I'm thinking about football. I know they do this in football, and I think they do this in cricket as well. If people who are formerly you know taking part in corruption, I'm forgetting the name of the person. Was it M- was it Mervin Westfield? Is that his name? The former bowler. Um, and he now, you know, his career is speaking to young players about the dangers of corruption to ward them against it, using his own bad experience of it. And I think that's, I think that's something that could be really powerful, you know, speaking to young players around the county circuit.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's like with Snooker. They've got a massive match-fixing problem because of it's growth in the Far East and the betting market's there. It's now rife with dodgy dealings and it's, it's just a, a, a blight on the sports that get ensnared in it. I'm just an example of a, another blight in a, a world that is so broken and rubbish in so many different ways.
1: It's all right, because Hip is here to keep you all perked up. Why, well,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and at the very least, I can always next summer retail more Surrey Div Five tales. And I, I'm sure there's very little corruption or match fixing going on in the, in, in the lower Surrey Championship leagues. So, at least in one sense, there'll always be a pure form of pure form of the game going on
1: absolutely i agree all right well we'll see you next week for our very exciting guest we'll reveal more soon
0: yes got a got a few guests lined up don't we so over these next few weeks there will be as we said a little bit of england south africa but the majority of the uh, first few episodes of this series will be guests with different people from from the world of cricket their perspectives how they got into the game but about their careers that kind of thing uh, it's going to be great absolutely
1: all right see you soon mate